One of the tendencies of mind, one of the often torments of the mind is in the Buddhist teaching, in the Buddha's teaching is called uh, papancha, or proliferation, or the diffusion of mental commentary that, that uh, as it's said in the teachings, obscures the bare facts of what's being experienced. And often the stories that our mind tells are uh, distortions of reality. We just don't see things the way they are. And the word vipassana means essentially seeing things as they are. It's, it's creating the conditions, the inner conditions, brushing the dust of our distortions away enough to be able to really see how it is that our mind works. Just an example, I thought of a story of proliferation I thought that I would read to you is this little poetic story called The Cookie Thief. A woman was waiting in an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between them which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She munched cookies and watched the clock. As this gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock, she was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. And when only one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, of, thought oh brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refusing to look back at that thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane, sank in her seat, then sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her bag, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair, then the others were his, and he tried to share. <laughs> Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. So this is just a very easy to take example of misperception of proliferation based on a reaction to uh, what is not seen clearly. And the same condition confronts us all in countless ways every day. And last week I, I talked about 
the tendency of mind to, to be acting out of the stories that play through our mind, the story of the aggrieved one, the story of the, of the, of the insufficient one, the, the uh, incomplete one, that the one that's to this or to that, that are often our narrative is of a, of a story of a nature that there's something wrong that has to be secured or there's something in my life where I need to I need to figure out or survive or um, fix or create and to the degree that we operate from the middle of those narratives just as with the cookie thief our mind becomes bound up in a distorted universe first and foremost a distorted version of ourselves that is just a series, a story, a thought uh, that, that doesn't really capture who or what we are. And I spoke of this last week and the liberating effect of beginning to relate to our thinking mind instead of from our thinking mind. To be able to notice this is the thinking mind thinking. This is the proliferating mind. This is the this is the story of my insufficiency. And this insufficiency is an idea. And that story accompanied with some care and attention reveals that that story is in some way completely insubstantial, not real. It appears as a series of thoughts as a what seems like a consistent narrative but when you look at it when it's looked at through the view of awareness of attention the whole solidity of that story uh, vanishes in fact in the moment of noticing there really is no story the moment that there is noticing of what our mind is doing. All there is is noticing of the thought that previously was. In that moment of noticing, the whole person that's described in that story literally vanishes. And so not only do we make this shift from, from living from our thoughts, to relating to them in this particular practice as a, way of, as a way of developing a wise relationship to our thinking mind, we study our mind. As the, the Zen master Dogen said, to study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self. And the self is basically whatever it is that we take to be me and mine. Whatever we take to be, oh, this is me, this is mine. And it's usually just to name what we usually take to be me and mine, thoughts, feelings, body. That's senses. We take that very personally. But he continues to say the study the Buddha Dharma is to study the self. To study the self is to see through 
the self or to forget the self. And then to forget the self is to take it out of the realm of self, to see your experience freshly. Every single experience that you notice becomes the, the manure of awakening. It becomes, the, it becomes awakening itself. In fact, then Dogen said that meditation is not a means of awakening, it is awakening itself. That we're awakening out of a, a, a delusion of consciousness that makes the, the thought stream that we so maniacally get involved in and that is constantly in search of, of security we step out of that stream of distress and we begin to notice it. We notice it, notice its impact. And we notice, first, we notice that the thinking mind is thinking. That's the general noticing. Now, I find it really interesting, even as I talk about the thinking mind, that in the space between my words, There's no thought. There's just silence. Now when I'm aware of that silence, then I realize that the thinking mind is not, can't define me. It's not permanent. It's, it's gone right now. Maybe it's gone for you too after the last thought and before the next one. So just noticing that the nature of the thinking mind is ephemeral. So that's, uh, at least for me, that's a difference that makes a difference. That the thinking mind is just dreamlike, not real, appearing and disappearing. And when I, go look, when I look for it, I can't find it. The Tibetans use that word emaho, how amazing. I traveled no distance at all, and there's no mind now. No thinking mind to be found. So we notice the thinking mind from, from many different, from many different um, vantage points. We notice it and we talk about it as a as the, the teller of the story of our life, the, the particular thing that we repeat over and over about ourselves. I was aggrieved, or I'm, or I'm the thief. Whatever it is, whatever narrative that we repeat over and over that creates a, what we hope is a consistent version of us that can give us a sense of security. We call it our story, we call it our narrative. The Buddha called it Sakaya Ditti, self-view. So that's one element of it. Oh, that's the narrative, that's the story. And it's really, it's such a, I find it so freeing to know a story of me is not me. Another noticing about our thinking that is, that is liberating 
is to be able to see the patterns of thinking that tend to repeat themselves. And as we develop this relationship to thinking, sitting beside our thoughts with awareness or noticing them as they come, we start to see the common themes of the thinking mind. The common themes that also reveal the momentariness of our thinking. We see the top tunes that our mind plays. I don't know if I talked about this last week. We see the common most frequent visitor for many is the planning mind. The judging mind, the rehearsing mind, the remembering mind. Did I say comparing already? The comparing mind. The analyzing mind. The, any others, anybody? Any top tunes that you're? What's fantasizing? Figuring out. Regretting. Blaming. Blaming. Beautiful. Now, from, a, from the vantage point of this immovable, I talked about it during the instructions, this steady awareness that knows thought as thought, we can begin to see that the blaming mind arises and it passes. The blaming mind blames. That there is no one who's blaming in that thought. The planning mind is planning. It comes uninvited. But because of what the Buddha called avidya, or ignorance, sometimes called wrong view, those planning mind, remembering mind, comparing mind, rehearsing mind, all these different thought forms, these patterns of thinking, are mistakenly identified with as being me and mine. They're taken personally. And the more those thoughts are personalized, the more there is the sense of, one way of talking about it is incarnating in those thoughts, like literally living in that little thought world, planning, seeing what myself pictured in that thought, for example, planning, going from here to there, and, and that's because of this quality of identification, and identification happens when that thought is not recognized. So in that little thought world, those same patterns that repeat themselves, unchecked, unrecognized, it builds this world of contraction. It builds a world out of these little momentary thought bubbles. It builds this, uh, it, there's an attempt to build a consistent narrative about me. But once we see that thoughts are just these little momentary bubbles appearing and disappearing, you see why our mind then starts working so hard to create a, a consistent pattern. Because those thoughts about ourselves are so, in, they are so um, empty. They are insubstantial. They are so momentary 
that it is not possible to find a consistent narrative out of a series of thousands and thousands of thoughts appearing and disappearing. And we fall into that wrong view and misperception. And as long as there's that misperception, we just keep building a, a state of tension because there's an attempt to secure something, make something consistent that is just happening very, very quickly and changing. So I, I know I shared the words of Anagarka Manindra last week, a thought of your mother is not your mother, a thought of yourself is not yourself. It's to begin to see the momentariness of thoughts, to begin to see the pattern of thinking, the, the common tunes. Perhaps even more important in our study of the thinking mind, we begin to recognize the impact of certain kinds of those certain types of thought forms. We begin to discern, and this is a very central part of the liberating aspect of our practice, we begin to discern those thoughts that are what we call wholesome, that are helpful, that were onward leading. And these would be thoughts of, of generosity that Dave spoke about, it's thoughts of goodwill, uh, thoughts of, thoughts of um, a wide net of understanding, a thought of, uh, that's based on clarity and understanding of things the way they are. Sometimes these three of of generosity and, and goodwill and non-harming, recognizing we're so connected to one another, sometimes described as non-greed, non-hatred, non-ignorance. We can actually see that some of the thought forms are really helpful. Thoughts are marvelous when they are oriented toward, toward things that are helpful in our life. And each thought we begin to see has a reverberation. It's one thing to see that they're empty and changing, but it's also important to see that they affect us and they affect our perception of reality. So we get to see the ones that are helpful, and then we get to see the ones that are not so helpful. The ones where they, the thoughts are imbued with what, what are called the three poisons, greed, hatred, and ignorance. Thoughts where, where we're perpetuating a feeling of lack that's just building that tension of trying to get somewhere. That I want what I don't have. And then not simply noticing wanting and, and what the nature of that desire, but just being driven by this, this um, this thirst to satisfy the hunger, making my mind so narrow that I don't actually see what's happening all around me. This is often what we, how we are when we're in pursuit of a, of a parking place, pursuit of a, a, some kind of a job. or per, we, we become very, very narrow, very, very tight, and forget to smell the flowers, forget to remember our bodies, 
forget to remember the people who are near and dear to us. We lose a sense of the nourishment of our life as our mind is headlong into that satisfaction of that thirst, that, that future, futurizing. And then hatred, where our mind becomes very narrow in the same way, cut off from the, from the flow of life in, bl- in the blaming mind. Or, so be an aspect of, the, of, of hatred in the mind. So you begin to see the thoughts that are helpful and onward leading, and those that, that actually lead us into more and more tension. But the beauty of meeting all of these kinds of thoughts, wholesome and unwholesome, non-greed, non-hatred, non-ignorance, greed, hatred, and ignorance, the beauty of meeting these is that rather than being lost and identified with, in these thoughts, caught in the stream of, of lack or distress, we're literally those very same thoughts are awakening us to the life that we're living right here and now. And that's why in the instructions of meditation, what I'll often say is that moment that you wake up to where you are, even if you've been lost in a, in a thought stream. Any of you get lost in thought tonight during the sitting? You wake up to where you are, there's often a, a little a little hatred that comes, some kind of judgment about having been lost, but really, that's the moment. That's the moment of celebration. And it's at that moment that you have the capacity then to re-inhabit this this body of yours, to begin to awaken again to the body's experience of life. We've mostly been experiencing life through that one sense door of, the, of our mental formations. And the world in our mental formations seems very small and contracted and fraught with worry and terror and, and, and grief and, and grief and what's the word? Grievances. But all of a sudden we come back to the body's experience of life that can only be felt in the living present. We come out of that tangle, we wake up. We're already back at that moment we wake up. We're not lost anymore. And the only reason that we then place our attention back in our body, get in touch with our body's experience of life, is because it's here. This is where our life is. It's not where we're going or where we've been. It's our body's experience of being able to see and hear and smell and taste. And it's such a different world right here. Somebody was telling me today that they, they just have to tune, t- turn off the, the radio or the television, or turn, you know, the, close the computer, because that world is just, you know, of course, there's, it's not to deny that there's, there's so much going on in this world that is, that is painful and, and hard to bear and the, our politics and, and just the, the haters and, you know, it's everywhere. But it's so easy if you lack, if you lack that sense of immediacy, the sense of your body's awareness of life 
your attention's awareness of life in real time, it's so easy to think the sky is falling. And then all of a sudden, back in the body, back in this room, back with one person at a time, one step at a time, one, one turn of the handle at a time, one turn of the wheel as I'm driving, the scene changing. The world is so different in real time. It's so much more rich. I'm rich, and I love my life when I'm here. When I'm caught in my internal world, don't recognize it for what it is, I don't love my life. But I, have, I find a little bit harder time finding fault in real time. So again, this is never to deny the, all the painful things that we need to be able to accommodate and respond to in our life. But just as every week, I, I just have this strong sense that we cannot deal with our life the difficulties, the dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, the challenges of life, unless we have our hearts being gladdened all the time through having our senses open. We have to, we've got to take in the richness. So we have to wake up. Wake up to understand the thinking mind, develop a wise relationship to thought, notice the thoughts that are unwholesome and stop them in their tracks, Cultivate the ones that are wholesome. You know, tonight during the sitting, I was really, really, really tired. And I, I developed this habit about 20 years ago when I used to lead the group on Dolores Street. That when I'd walk up and down Dolores, I would do loving kindness phrases. May I be happy, may I be peaceful, may I feel safe, may I feel, you know, this and that. You can make up your own. But I could feel myself starting to feel the grumpiness of being tired and the tension that comes with having to <laughs> lead the group when I'm feeling so tired. And just fortunately, because of the, the effect of habit, causes and conditions, if you want to understand your past, look at what comes into your mind in the present. And the past action was I planted that seed a lot of goodwill, both toward myself and toward other people, it just came into my mind. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. Literally five seconds of metta, of just a few moments of, of applied thought, applied intentional thought of goodwill, and back on the saddle, able to get through the night. So that's the other thing about thought. When it, we develop a wise relationship to thought, we see that, our, that we can apply thought 
in such a way that it is, that it is onward leading toward our well-being. I think of the, the loving-kindness practice, the bodhicitta practice in the Tibetan tradition where you, you consciously intend to awaken for the welfare and benefit of all beings. That the, you keep tuning into your, the intentionality of your life and your practice to be of benefit, to awaken for others. And, and watch the way that begins to ripple through your consciousness. Transform the way you experience yourself and, and other people. And it just tells us that our, our thoughts, thought forms have power. They can have power, especially when they're imbued with very wholesome intentions. And even the power to, to develop our minds so that we have the resilience to sit in the middle of it all. We aim our, we say, aim your mind to be here. Sustain that. That comes with intention. Aim the mind, sustain the mind. Find comfort right where you are. Don't go out of yourself in search. It's good to tell ourselves that. It's a good applied thought. Bring rapt attention to whatever you're doing. And, to, and stay at that single point where you are, right where life touches you. No, any, no higher mountain to climb than right where you're sitting. This is the lotus land, this body the Buddha. So we want to wake up, let our body experience ourselves right where we are. Let our attention be fully there. And then sit in the middle of it all. Sit in the middle. And perhaps we will, we will catch the cookie thief and realize that, that, that it is ourselves. And then in realizing is ourselves, we will see there really is no self. There is no cookie thief. We aren't defined by any of the things that we do or think or say, but they are changing conditions, empty bubbles. And so we can play, we can enjoy the display of thoughts just as we would sounds, smells, tastes, so that all the sense experience can be the reminder of our love of life instead of our lack. Are you truly missing anything right now? As Kala Rinpoche says, and this is how I'll end, there is nothing to be gained, nothing to be found that is not there already. Truth is so simple. Buddhahood is so simple. Bodhicitta, which I just described, so simple. So self-evident. Truth is here in this very room. Truth is you. The supreme silence, infinity is in you. 
You are the silence. You are the truth. You are the Buddha. Wake. It is here in this very moment, so simple and unaffected, so near. Yet we make it so distant when it is so near, so remote when it is so immediate, so complicated when it's so simple. You are the Buddha. Then why do you not feel it? Why do you not know it utterly, through and through? Because there is a veil in the way which is attached to appearances such as the belief that you are not the Buddha, that you are a separate individual. If you cannot lift this veil at once, then it must be dissolved gradually. If you've seen through it totally just once, even one glimpse, then you can see through it all the time. Wherever you are, whatever presents itself, however things seem to be, simply refer to that ever-present, inherent spaciousness, openness, and clarity. Now, just as we did last week, I would just like to invite you to remove the word spaciousness, remove the word openness, remove the word clarity, and then be as you are. May all beings develop a wise and friendly and merciful relationship to the thinking mind, to our bodies, to this world, and to all beings everywhere without exception. May our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. And any of the fruits of our practice tonight, may it be offered freely to all beings. thousand thank yous for your presence, your practice, your generosity, and please be mindful and loving. Thanks. And please help to um, put the chairs off to the sides in piles of four. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.